Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. The topic is, is obedience. That's the theme of this week's adult lesson. But my title today is connected to that. It's going to sound like a non sequitur, like it's not connected at all. But my title today is what's going on in the garden? What's going on in the garden? I'm probably one of the least spiritual people you'll ever meet. No, Sister Mac is not in here at the moment. Oh, she is, and she's <laughs> nodding. <clears throat> I just saw her face. So we've been married 24 years, and um, I can read her face, and what she just said with her forehead was, oh, you're finally acknowledging. <clears throat> but I believe I felt the Lord drop this thought in my spirit on Tuesday having no idea that Pastor Lopez would be under the weather. And so I just want, for, for just, this is completely kind of out of my character. And again, not only am I not spiritual, but I'm not smooth at all. Could we take 30 seconds and just bow our heads? And, and if it's appropriate, grab the hand of the person next to you. Because I really do believe that the spirit of the Lord wants to just minister something today. Not just check a box, not just have class not just tell some jokes and read some Bible stories, but minister deeply. Can you do that with me? Lord Jesus, right now, God, we are nobody from nowhere, but I feel your presence in this place, and I feel your anointing, and I know that you want to move on someone's heart. And Lord, if you don't move on anybody else, please change me. Please work on me for the next 45 minutes, God. And I ask you to touch every person in this place, Lord. Let your anointing descend as your word goes forth, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If it's appropriate, look over to your neighbor and say, hey, sweet potato, what's going on in the garden? <clears throat> in Genesis chapter two, in verse 15, and these will be very familiar words to you. Genesis 2.15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam was a gardener, Right? Sounds like it. I don't think he was named a gardener or called a gardener, but he was in the garden and it was his job to dress and to keep it. He was a gardener. In John chapter 20, fairly lengthy passage, but I think it would be worthwhile for us to look at each verse from verse one through verse 16. John chapter 20, this is right after the resurrection. It says, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark into the sepulcher. 
and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter. So I don't want to get too bogged down, but just make a mental note. Peter is there, and she recognizes that it's Peter. Okay? And to the other disciple. So the other disciple's not named, but the narrator of Scripture clarifies, at least we know it was one of the disciples. So now she's recognizing two people, Peter and a disciple, whom Jesus loved, probably John, and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came, to the first, or came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. <clears throat> then cometh Simon Peter following and went into the sepulcher, see if the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw it and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So Mary's there, and she recognizes Peter, and she recognizes the other disciple, who is probably John, and she also is able to identify that there are two angels sitting there. So I don't think Mary had an identification problem. I think she knew her peeps. And they said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. I probably read this, I don't know, 18 or 19 billion times in my life. She recognized Peter. She recognized the other disciple. She recognized that there were two angels. Didn't have a problem. Didn't misidentify. But she sees Jesus. And she didn't know it was Jesus. That's interesting. Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener. Saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And you know how this goes. It's just anybody until he says your name. Has he ever said your name? Has he ever, have you, has he ever called you in a fashion where you were just going through the humdrum mundanity of life, and then all of a sudden, he might not have actually verbalized your name, but he calls in a way that his sheep know his voice. And I can tell you as a person that was about 36 hours from signing up to join the Navy and to devote my entire life to that career path, he spoke to me at 10.47 p.m., Ironically, as I was about to pull onto the street where my parents live, and ironically, they live on a street called Souls Street. 
And he said, I've got an army. And he didn't say, do you want to join it? He didn't say sign here. He didn't say put your hand up and swear on the Constitution. He just said, hey, he spoke to me in a way that I knew it was him. And burn me at the stake before I ever recant that he is the only true and living God that holds this whole universe in his hand. Because when he speaks to you, any misidentification problem that you may have had before, all of a sudden things begin to come into focus. When your eye is single, then your whole body can be full of light. And maybe that's Mary's moment right there. I think that's probably part of it. Maybe she was distraught. You know, nobody anticipated crucifixion. Nobody anticipated a body coming missing three days. It was probably a very uh, emotionally trying time. Maybe there are reasons why she thought he was the gardener. Oh, Brother Mac, you're always trying to go Da Vinci code on all of us. There's nothing to the fact that she thought he was the gardener. Probably, maybe I'm just crazy. But what do you think she would have thought he was if he were dressed like a Roman soldier? She would have probably thought he was a Roman soldier. If he were dressed like a beggar, she might have reached into her purse and maybe, you know, been generous because, you know, she heard the Beatitudes face to face. I don't think this has to be a big thing. I don't think it has to be a major doctrine. I'm not a Bible scholar, but isn't it fascinating that Adam was the first gardener, Adam was the first man, Jesus is known as the last man, Adam, and the first eyeballs that connected with his eyeballs after he rose from the grave thought he looked like a gardener. Maybe it's coincidence. If it's coincidence, then at a minimum, I want it to remind me forever that God planted man in the garden and gave him a job and a responsibility and he failed, and this is still God's garden, and he planted you now in your garden, and you have a responsibility, and you have a calling, and you have the strength, and you have the power, and he came to fix what was broken, and he came to pick up what has been put down. He came to make the high places low, and the low places high. He came to level the playing field for everybody. You can be a zillionaire, or you can be a beggar, but he has come to plant someone deeply rooted on the foundation of his word this morning. He has come to peel back the layers and the weeds and the things that have gotten you stagnant. He's come to reinvigorate a calling in your life. He's come to reinvigorate a passion and a fire in your life that maybe has been tamped down by what's going on in your garden. Man, I, uh, one of my problems is I like to win. A lot. Only recently did I let the girls beat me at anything. Very recent. When it comes to the things of God, 
you've probably heard this before, but there were, there were old timers that used to share this, this phrase. It's hard to live for God easy, but it's easy to live for God hard. Because you know, you just go all in. It, to me, it's hard to regulate. I'm not saying I've never been hypocritical because Lord knows, like poster child for carnality right here. But it's, it's hard to just kind of do it. And it may be just wiring, it may just be, may just be DNA, but Brother Faulkner, man, I wanna go like, oh man. But even in spite of that, Brother Fridley, because you're kind of an all-in kind of guy. There's always this resistance. There's just a resistance. I want to do well, and I want to kill it, Brother Hall. But like Job said in Job chapter 14, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Man, that's wise, isn't it? You know, no offense against the younger generation because, man, we got a great younger generation, right? But an old guy wrote that, right? Because for you, it's still kind of theory. But a guy that's been through some stuff wrote that. A guy that's felt resistance wrote that. A guy that knows what it's like to have dug out of discouragement wrote that. A guy that knows what it's like to be disappointed day after day after day after day after day says that a man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He goes on to say, he cometh forth like a flower and then is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Paul writes it, Paul, there's a lot of verses here and you'll recognize it, but just bear with me for a moment. Paul says this in Romans chapter seven, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. And this is where the tongue twister comes in. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. And it almost sounds like we're trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, like with our words here. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And, and I know that lots of you are perfect, but you are in this same boat right here. Like we know we're not perfect and it's fun to sort of objectify that and think of it in sort of like theoretical terms, but somebody needs to just point at their nose right now and say, I'm not perfect. And I'm not talking because you like ran a yellow light. Like we got some stuff in our gardens. We got some weeds. And it's not necessarily my job to tell you what your weeds are, but we probably know what our weeds are, right? And we probably know that our soil needs to be supplemented, right? We probably know we haven't watered our gardens as consistently as we need to. Paul says, now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And, and Paul's making this point. It's almost like it's that one, uh, that one funny saying that says, uh, I hate being bipolar. It's just so awesome. 
Verse 21, I find then a law. When I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. It's almost like I'm headed in a direction. I'm all in. I'm just like, I'm trying to kill it, but there's something that's chasing me. There's something that's on my shoulder. It's like, you ever, sometimes it feels like somebody's watching you. It's bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says, and I, and I, I pray this as often as I can. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now we know who that is. But sometimes we don't recognize him. And sometimes we don't recognize his work. We know that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it's the power of his spirit that lives in us. That just keeps us just out of the lion's snare. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Let me drop this little piece of illumination. There's something a little bit dysfunctional about all of us. <clears throat> There's something a little bit fallen well, probably a lot fallen, but I'm trying to be kind. We're just falling. Anybody ever hear Drew Brees? I mean, he's no Peyton Manning, but. Drew Brees played for Purdue. Quarterback, boiler up. He was seven times he led the league in passing yards. Pretty cool. Six times he was the completion percentage leader in the NFL. Best of the best. Top 1% of football athletes in the world. Four times he was the passing touchdown leader. He was only six foot tall. He's on everyone's top 10 list of all time. Everybody argues Brady, Manning, Bradshaw. He's on everybody's top 10 list. Nobody ignores Drew Brees. I heard an interview with him one time and he was just kind of telling funny family stories. He likes to throw the football around with his boys. And when his boys were like seven, eight, nine years old, they were out in the backyard and he was having them go long and he was throwing them passes. And he'd throw them a pass and they'd miss it and they'd look at him like he threw it wrong. When we miss, it's probably our fault. And I don't want anybody to feel bad about themselves. We need probably to lift one another up, to exhort, to, to encourage. And I know sometimes very devastating things can happen in our lives. But don't kid yourself. Lots of times we create our own little we just do. I do. Maybe you don't. Sometimes I don't pull the weeds. I don't know why my cucumbers aren't doing that good this year. Where, where's the plant? Anyway. 
Sometimes we don't fertilize on the right schedule. Sometimes our equipment malfunctions, Brother Hawk. Sometimes our automatic sprinkler heads, things that we think are supposed to just kind of be automatic aren't automatic anymore, and we sort of get busy doing other things, and we've neglected our garden, and now we don't have the produce that we want. It's just a reality. Lord Jesus, man, remind me every day. Remind me with your word. Remind me with K-Love. Remind me with, with IBC recordings. Remind me when my friends text me and ask me where I'm at. Remind me, Lord, when I see the sunrise. Lord, remind me when I see the sunset. God, remind me when I have a little bit of a problem in my life that you're my help and you're my very present help in the time of trouble. God, when I face a temptation, remind me that it's not there to make me fall, but it's there to prove me and test me and give me an opportunity to succeed. God, remind me of those things when the little weeds sprout up, that it's not just there to be annoying, but it's to remind me that you are the great gardener and that you have called me and you have, you've given me a responsibility and an anointing. And God, I want to be used in your kingdom. And God, I want you to touch my life. Sonia and I, we've always kind of loved diversity we, we lived in Connecticut 12 years. She lived there longer because she was born and raised there. But we had, uh, I worked at a place where we did some repairs on industrial gas turbine components. And when I say melting pot of people and ethnic groups, I mean, it was everything, everything. And uh, I'll never forget my friend Didier Alvarez, who's from uh, Medellin, Colombia. Sister Stoner's probably not in here, but Medellin, city of eternal spring. Medellin, Colombia. Anybody else here from Colombia? Anybody know where Colombia is? We're sitting around the lunch table one time and we're just talking and, and uh, the subject came up, hey, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? And I've traveled a little bit and I'm sitting with, you know, 17 different nationalities and everybody's kind of trading and all of a sudden Didier Alvarez, my friend from Colombia, he said, eh, donkey. And uh, of course that was surprising. And... I said, Didier, what does donkey taste like? And he looked at me with the most deadpan eyes, trying to, I could just tell he was calculating, what can I tell you that's similar that you would have probably eaten? And he says, oh, just like horse. <laughs> <sighs> Diversity. Other friends, uh, Roman Switzala, probably shouldn't have said his name. It's out there now. We would torture each other, so we would be welding behind this welding mask, and we're TIG welding, and we're just kind of focusing in. Sometimes you'd have earbuds in, and he would sneak up behind me. Sometimes we would hammer check each other. So what hammer check means, very technical term, you're on this metal welding table. It's a single table on four legs by yourself and you've got these dividers that block the bright light from everyone else and you're just laying beads, laying beads, laying beads. And then to do it right, one of your fellow workers has to pick up a 20 pound sledgehammer and sneak over to your table and swing from Arkansas. <laughs> Wham! And bang the table. You can hear it in the front building. And of course, you're so focused on the light. Oh, but the light, it's so beautiful. And you're just hanging there at the light and you're concentrating and all of a sudden, 
the table that you're working on virtually bends in half and the legs come off the ground. It's like a cartoon. And it blows your eardrums out and that's a courtesy check. <clears throat> Dudes, sweatshop environment, lots of diversity, lots of testosterone, and severe boredom. That's what, that's what happens when you put all those things together. And then once in a while, Roman would sneak up to my ear and he would whisper in like this really deep, gravelly Roman uh, Polish accent, because he was Polish, he would say, Jinky Bogu, Jetsch Bobacham Jetsko. It's just like eerie, it's just weird. What that means is, thank God you're a welder, baby. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It, it, it sounds fictitious. And then one time, we're sitting at lunch, different context, different group of people, and um, can I just, it's, it's too late to, to put in asterisk statements, but sometimes, often, Roman wouldn't have the best of hygiene. And so imagine it's July, late July, I don't know if I mentioned the fact that it was a sweatshop. And there were other of his friends, his peers from the same country that were like as GQ as you could imagine and maybe they used Axe or Old Spice or Cool Breeze or I don't know what the thing is today, but they did not have this same issue. But Roman had this issue consistently. And little side note, I know that cleanliness is next to godliness is not really in the Bible technically speaking, but go ahead and shower. <laughs> and one day we're sitting at lunch and I'm just, I'm just trying to finish my ham sandwich and Debbie snack without throwing up because Roman is ripe. <laughs> and this other gentleman who was from Puerto Rico leans over to Roman and he just casually and rather stoically just says, Roman, you can use bleach for that. <laughs> it hit me so funny in the moment, I almost couldn't laugh. It was just so funny. But here's the thing. Let's be honest with each other. We all have things that we need to be washed of. We all have things that we need a major remedy for. We all have things that though they might be hidden and though they might be secret sins, and though we know that they're there and we're not proud of them, it's not like we're promoting them. I think the spirit of the Lord is saying like he did to the disciples that one day, hey, when you go pray, I'm not necessarily interested in meeting you on the street corner, but I wanna meet you in the closet. 
And the reason why he wants to meet him in the closet is because the closet is not where you keep your trophies. And the closet is not where you keep the things that you're proud of. And the closet is not where you keep the family heirlooms that you want to show to everyone that comes over to your life. But the closet is where the hidden things go. That's where the mop buckets are. That's where the brooms are. That's where the dirty old clothes, the things that you don't want people to see, the things that you're not proud of, the things that you've been working on for a long time, but you don't want public knowledge. Jesus says, that's where I want to meet you. I want I want to go in there and use some bleach for that. I want to go in there and use some blood for that. I want to go in there and work on you. Let me pull some weeds in your garden. Let me pour some water in your garden. Let me put some fertilizer in there. Can somebody just say, God, work on me right now. God, deal with me right now. If you've ever doubted him, maybe that's what he wants to deal with you on. If you have this thing where you're so disappointed in people that you can't get aligned with the mission of the church and the body of Christ, people will always fail you. Just forgive them and move on. Just overlook it and keep going. Somebody needs to pull some weeds. Somebody needs to pay attention to the garden. It's okay. Have to hustle. Adam's a gardener, he's there to take care of his garden. Two words come to mind when I think of gardening. Agriculture and horticulture. The real differences between the two is agriculture is more scale. Big fields, lots of plants, and agriculture includes animals. Horticulture is smaller scale, more boutique-y, if you will, more focused, and that includes gardening. They're both probably connected to what Adam was doing. I don't know if he was large scale in it. The garden probably wasn't infinite, so there was probably a limit. I don't think he had John Deere. Brother Anthony Burkhead probably thinks I just swore right there because he's a He's a, some McAllister guy, caterpillar. I don't think it was scaled to the extent that we see farming today. But it's not the agra and it's not the horta. It's the culture that got him. It's the culture. He was there to manage his culture. He was smack in the middle of it. It was going to need pruning. It was going to need managing. It could not be neglected. You obviously know the rules, the forbidden fruit you can't eat of that tree. It was the culture that got him. Culture refers to generally how we say culture. Patterns of human activity, symbolic structures that give such activity significance. Different definitions of culture reflect different theoretical orientations for understanding criteria. Anthropologists commonly use the word culture to refer to the universal capacity to classify, codify, and communicate their experiences symbolically. That's a long new encyclopedia Definition, you know what it really means? Culture is the stuff around us. It was plants and animals for Adam 
but it's more than that for us. Culture for us is relationships with one another. Culture for us is unfortunately having to boycott certain retail places of establishment because not only are they not aligned with what we believe in, but they're at the opposite end of the spectrum. That's dealing with culture. That's how you do it. Do you know how you deal with culture? There could be forbidden things in the middle of our garden. We can't just ignore the fact that they're there. We can't play dumb and just neglect and just kind of go over here and live on the back nine acres of our garden. We have to know how to deal with culture. You could unpack this for days and days and we're running down to about seven minutes of time left. But how many know that you can deal with culture without getting mad? I didn't know that. I thought you had to get ticked. What, you mean I'm not supposed to write a blog about it? There's, there's so much that you could unpack. I wanna share one quick thing with you. On Tuesday, I'm in Georgia for a work meeting. I've never heard anybody in the business world say these words. Senior vice president of our company gets up and he says, I want you all to start thinking like gardeners. Usually in the business world, they're saying, we want you to think like hunters. <laughs> At all costs, win. At all costs, go leave the cave and drag something home. He said, we want you to think about making your environment conducive for growth. I'm like, preach, preach, pastor, senior vice president, senior vice pastor, SVP. We want you to think about your environment holistically. What can you do to make your environment rich for growth? I felt the Lord talk to me, Sister Lopez, right when he said, I wrote it down. I'm like, this is not normal business speech. But how much the church of God globally needs to hear those words. Brother Hauk, we need to focus on making the culture of our family conducive for growth. We need to focus on making the culture of our workplace conducive for growth. Our own minds need to be a plot of land that's rich and fertile and cultivated and ready to receive the word of God so that the birds don't come in and take it away, so that the people don't tramp it away, so the thorns don't come up and take it away, but it takes root and it becomes something that can produce fruit and produce and something of substance, something you can give to someone else. We need to make our culture conducive for growth. We don't necessarily need to nitpick every little political thing that's going on in the world. No, duh, it's going on in the world. Let's kind of take our eyes off of that and focus on the soil. Let's take our eyes off of that and focus on the roots. Let's take our eyes off of that and focusing on managing our culture like apostolics should. You want a cheat code? You want a cheat code? Here's the apostolic cheat code. Second Peter chapter one and verse eight. For if these things be in you, 
and abound. Everybody say abound. They can't just be there. They've got to be in an environment that's conducive for growth. They've got to be in a healthy garden. Everybody say, I want to be a healthy garden. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) It can't be that easy. I'm not saying it's easy to have these things in you. But it's one thing to say, make your culture conducive for growth. It's another thing altogether to tell you how to do it. This is how you do it. There's no way in the next three minutes we're gonna be able to unpack it. It's not, this lesson is not meant for that. This is not meant to be an exhaustive, conclusive, capsulated, okay, put this in a PowerPoint and now you've got it. This message is a diving board. This message is a starting point. When you find it hard to make your culture conducive for growth, do it like I told the youth group way back in Connecticut back in the day. Put your hand on the back of your head and push your face down to the word of God and remind yourself that if these things be in you and they abound, they shall make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? A healthy dose of these things, a disciplined dose of these things, a consistent dose of these things. Nothing else matters but these things. We'll jump To our conclusion, okay, Brother Max, so what are these things? I'm glad you had to have me ask for you. In verse five and verse six, it lists what these things are. Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. All those things mean something. What you need to know now to get started is you need to unwrap the principles that are included in these eight things and turn that spigot wide open and put your mouth under that spigot and force feed your soul these things. That's how you combat culture. That's how you can prevent culture from getting you. That's how you can make your culture conducive for growth. 30 seconds. It shall make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind. Can't see. And you can't see afar off. You're told, you can't see near or far. And you've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence. That means do whatever it takes to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, what does that next line say? Read it out loud with me. For if you do these things, in verse 10, the last line, ye shall never... I wanna connect these next two verses with a passage in Matthew, and then we're gonna close. Verse 11 says this. Please let these words embed themselves in your spirit right now. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. Everybody say silver platter. If something is ministered to you abundantly, you cannot turn away. You will be captivated by it. 
It is overcoming you. An entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then Peter makes that great statement, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of what? These things. Though you know them, I know you know it, Brother Crabtree, reminding you again. My job, remind you again. I know you know them, and I even know, Brother Fridley, that you're established in these things. One more time, I just reminded you. Matthew 7, 14 says this. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It means you cannot find it on your own. It is like slipping into the small sliver of the atmosphere. If you miss it, you ricochet off. But if these things be in you and abound, an entrance, flashing signs, a gate will be ministered unto you abundantly. These things in you makes your culture, your garden conducive for growth. Can you stand to your feet just for a moment? Lord Jesus, I believe you have lit some fires and started some things in our hearts, God, that we all kind of knew we needed, Lord. And I just pray that you administer right now. Help us to attach ourselves to these things. Help us to become students of these things. Help us to become consumers of these things. Help us to digest and employ and pass out and share these things, God, because we know that when we do, the growth occurs. When we do, production occurs. Salvation occurs, God. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Could you just clap your hands unto the Lord? Thank him for his goodness. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.